Retro, that's what she said, episode 18.5, The Injury. Hey, hey, I've seen this one, I've seen this one, it's a classic. This is where Michael grills his foot. You've seen this, brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. It's a rerun. You'll find out. That's what she said. Time to the time. That's what she said. Flux capacitor. Flexing. That's what she said. Let's count it down. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Hold on, Michael. I am coming. Great call. Welcome to episode 18.5 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your human resources coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 12th episode of season 2, entitled The Injury which originally aired Tuesday, January 12, 2006. Michael's down, gang, all for the love of crispy, crackling bacon, and it's Dwight to the rescue, whether Michael wants him to or not. What's more serious, a foot injury or a head injury? Michael's faith in his employees is shattered, but can Pam in a tub of country crock make things right again? And Dwight, what's a little concussion between pals? Oh, and by the way, you forgot your bumper, man. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me, as always, is our senior sales associate, Ian Castleberry. Ian, how you doing? Great, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So back by popular demand, uh, we're putting out a retro episode here during the six-week hiatus, and we sort of planned on doing a, maybe a couple of these during that time. But uh, nature has conspired against us, my friend, yes. and I'm uh, temporarily feeling well right now. Um, oh, question it. <laughs> I know, and people, you know, I, I told my big story about being sick during the trip to New York and everything else before we did cocktails, and then right after we recorded cocktails, I went down with the same exact thing again for another full week, so finally back, feeling a little bit better. Hopefully we're ready to go this week and the next week for the big April 5th return of the show. Here we are, man. We're going to talk about the injury, and part of the reason why we picked this episode is because it was part of the five-episode HR Nightmares Flenderthon that we had last week on March 29th. So, um, Ian, I know this is the first time that you've ever seen this episode, so what did you think about the episode going in here? Oh, I liked it. I know it's, a, a po- judging from the comments on the blog page, it's a really popular episode, and I can see why. kind of has everything you're looking for in an episode, yet I also think it kind of uh, takes the r- familiar formula and shakes it up a little bit with what happened to Dwight. We're talking about this a little bit before, and, and it's kind of weird for me to go back and do these retro episodes because it's, it's hard for me to reimagine like what my mindset was at last year when I watched this for the first time because now, you know, rewatching the show after the whole third season, pretty much, um, things are getting all kind of mixed up and confused and everything else. So one of the things I, I feel or I, I get a sense of this episode, the injury, it sort of feels to me like this is one of the first episodes in season two where they really started to push the envelope as far as having some really sort of ridiculous situations pop up. And 
we've talked a little bit about that this season with Phyllis's wedding and a few other things where we, you know, sometimes when they take it too far, when Michael goes a little too far, that uh, it, it sort of loses its humor to a certain extent. But I think this episode really walked that line well. Michael's definitely a jerk. I mean, he's definitely an asshole in this episode, but it doesn't really wear out its welcome, I think. There's enough stuff going on in the episode that, um, you know, makes it interesting and palatable and, and funny at the same time. Plus, it never really deteriorates into the cartoonish side of things, which is a problem I've had with some of the other episodes that are over the top. I mean, I think the Michael plot line definitely, it, it, like I said, I think it's, it does push it because, it, you know, it, it's, it's, we've seen that before. It, it, he's such a diva, just like ridiculous behavior and everything that he does is so hyperbolic, you know, so hyperbolic during this episode. Just his reaction and his, his pain and his little fits that he throws and just everything that he does, it's, it, it is really, you know, ridiculous, but you know, it works in this context. I think maybe it's because there is a lot of other things going on and the, the Dwight plot line sort of balances things out. And and this is one of the first episodes, too, that I think that they really made... They started to make Dwight human for a second yeah. there. Yeah. And, they, you know, unfortunately, they had to give him a concussion to uh, to make him <laughs> human in, in season two. And, and then in season three, like we've said many times, that they've definitely ramped up that humanization with Dwight, we we've seen that a lot more in season three. But this is one of the first times that we've got that sort of peek into uh, you know <laughs> what might Dwight be like if he wasn't the anal retentive sort of Amish you know fascist that we've all come to know and love the first two seasons. And the only thing I had to add to that is that it was consistent with Michael's character. Well, we saw again when we did the last retro episode too. When we did the Christmas episode from season two, I sort of forgot. In that episode, too, Michael acts like such a total jerk as well. He's like a total dick. And yeah, maybe... maybe oh, sorry. I was just going to say, maybe I'm just forgetting like how he used to be. He's, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe it just seems a little more jarring because in season three, he's been more of a likable character, less diva-like, um, with a couple of exceptions. So to see it again, uh, to kind of rewind... Yeah, it sort of comes off now as I guess we're seeing him maybe thinking he's he's acting a little, you know, way more meaner or crazier than he than he has been. But, you know, I think that's his character. Like you said, it's his character more along the way that they played him out in season two with uh, very few exceptions, I think. They definitely in season three, it's ramped up to have him be much more, you know, at the end of the episode, there's always got to be sort of a little saving grace and something. He does something nice to balance it out. Yeah, there's no moral lesson at the end. I, I don't know if that, that's a good term for it, but you know, well, th there was no uh, talking head at the end where Michael just kind of ties everything up with a bow, you know? Yeah, and that, that was one thing, too, though, that, that I thought was kind of weird is the way this episode ended, that it just it end, it ended really abruptly, and there was no coda, like, after the commercial or, or mm -hmm. any usual sort of talking head. And, and that struck me as kind of strange, and I was wondering if maybe I miss something or or whatever on my episode strange ending and he does do a sort of nice act at the end which can be seen as seen as a redeeming redeeming factor even though i i started to question it the whole time as well because you know is uh, did he go in with dwight into the uh cat scan out of uh, some kind of human feeling or did he just go in there because he knew he could uh try to stick his foot in the machine <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think he tried to <laughs> stick his foot in the, oh, in the man. tube. I hate to be so cynical, but uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, oh man. Well, let's uh, let's dive right on into this episode here. Um, starts off in a typical office setting. Everyone's just kind of hanging around in the office, chatting about uh, nothing in particular. When we get a little phone call. Thunder missile, and this is Pam. Pam, it's Michael. Help me. I need help right now. Michael, what's wrong? I'm hurt. Just say again, really loudly, uh, what happened. Okay, I burned my foot very badly on my foreman grill. You burned your foot on a foreman grill. I like waking up to the smell of bacon. Sue me. And since I don't have a butler, I have to do it myself. So I will lay six strips of bacon out on my George Foreman grill. Then I go to sleep. When I wake up, I plug in the grill. I go back to sleep again. Then I wake up to the smell of crackling bacon. Today, I got up, I stepped onto the grill, and I clamped down on my foot. That's it. I don't see what's so hard to believe about that. Okay, could someone come and get me, please, Ryan? No one wants to pick me up. What is going on? Hold on, Michael. I am coming. I Wait there. Dwight. Huh? What was that? Oh, he hit the pole. He's still driving. Dwight, you forgot your bumper. Please don't send Dwight. Again, we sort of have that uh, dichotomy here where Michael resents Dwight to such a degree. I'm not sure quite why, because he wants, he seems like he wants that person to suck up to him because they love him. And Dwight definitely is that guy. So I'm not sure why Michael hates him. So yeah, I think much. he wants someone either to uh, to help him recoup by rubbing something on him or to carry him through the door, you know, like across the threshold. Well, it's kind of weird. Like before, um, I mean, is it just that he wants someone cooler <laughs> to like him? <laughs> yeah. You know, he keeps uh, – this episode we really see sort of Ryan's sycophantic uh, office side as well when he goes off on a lot of Michael's errands to get his <laughs> three-hole rotisserie chickens or whatever and uh, – all the other stuff that he goes after. So I don't know. Um, you know, one thing about in the last podcast, we we did, we talked a little bit about cold opens and mm-hmm. whether they should be um, excised, you know, from the episode to make room for uh, more plot. And uh, this is an example of a, a cold open that tied into the right into the episode. You know, maybe we need to see more of that in the show. I'm not sure if they just kind of decided now to make those little mini episode and that's just the way it's going to be or or what but in this episode you're right i mean it really set things up perfectly and it really kind of shocked you because you sort of had uh, you know right when the call starts it's sort of this really frantic um emergency situation and you know it's a comedy but still you know it sounds very serious uh it could be something very dangerous and of course uh it turns into a laughing matter very quickly but uh, i mean do you think that uh <laughs> Were the people in the office being being a little too mean to to Michael? <laughs> yeah, but again, he's being such a diva. I mean, you know, you, how did you bring your foot? Yeah, maybe you know you'd take a little bit of uh, sympathy for the guy. But seriously, who burns their foot on a George Foreman grill? You, well, you have to at least get the explanation from him. <laughs> yeah, that's quite an. And he explains it quite perfectly. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. I. I've been meaning to try that ever since he, you know, this episode aired last year, but unfortunately. Yeah, I thought there's some other people I know who have some elaborate uh, wake-up rituals, you know, like <laughs> staggering alarms, you know, like five minutes apart, different parts of the apartment or whatever. But uh, <laughs> I think that definitely wins. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember at the time when this first came on, thinking that that was, you know, like I said, that was it, it was so ridiculous that uh, you know it, it could have been just so ridiculous that you just didn't buy. 
the whole premise. You know what it speaks to is the lack of, I mean, this is a, a, a market that the George Foreman Grill does not cater to. I mean, you know, you have, <laughs> coffee, you have coffee makers with timers. You know, you want a, a, a pot brewing at 6 a.m. so you can set it and it starts going. You need a Foreman Grill that's, that does the same thing. Man, well, Ooh. I wonder if this was, we've talked many times this season about the uh, product placements, and I guess, was that a paid product placement for the Foreman Grill? <laughs> I mean, would the Foreman Grill want their product advertised as clamping on someone's foot? Yeah, and probably it? not. <laughs> but then, you know, I'm, then I'm kind of surprised that they allowed them to use the name. Oh, man. My only question is, what was it doing on the floor? You, so. you would think there's a huge issue of bacon grease getting onto the carpet. <laughs> But well, it, you know, you he know. does have that convenient fat drip tray there. So, But in any case, so it sets up the whole premise. And, you know, Michael, of course, being the diva that he is. And then Dwight rushing to his rescue. And then we, we have, as usual in the office, we have a double meaning to the title of the injury. So we have Michael's injury, of course, his foot clamping situation. And then we have the, you know, as Dwight rushes out uh, of the parking lot to go save Michael, he crashes his car that cherry ride into the fence pole, um, a spectacular projectile vomiting scene as well. That's rather disturbing. <laughs> you know, it's rather disturbing and it's realistic and it's, it is sort of funny in a, not like a, a hilarious way, but it's, you know, it's pretty disgusting. And then he drives off. And so of course, then the other injury is Dwight and his concussion you know, this is the thing, again, that when Michael comes back into the office a little bit later, he sort of reiterates his philosophy about how he wants to be treated. Clearly, I have had a very serious accident, but I will recover, God willing. I just want to be treated normally today. Normal would actually be good. It's just that before you said you didn't want any special treatment. I don't want any special treatment, Pam. I just want you to treat me like you would a family member who's undergone some sort of serious physical trauma. I don't think that's too much to ask. Do you want some aspirin because you seem a little fussy? No, I don't want some aspirin. Yeah, I am fussy. Aspirin's not going to do a damn thing. I'm sitting here with the bloody stump of a foot. So again, we have that, you know, Michael lays it right out there on the line. All I expect from you is to treat me as a personal family member that's undergone major serious <laughs> trauma. I don't think that's too much to ask. No, I mean, clearly something serious is going on when someone's foot is wrapped in bubble wrap. <laughs> In Jim Halpert's defense, I mean, if you see it there, you have to reach for it and pop one. It's irresistible. No respect, and that's part of the problem is that Michael, you know, I think that even, you know, if he would have gotten just a little sympathy from the people in the office, I mean, do you think he would have gone to such hysterical lengths during this episode? I think that's probably, part of the problem. Probably not. He should have showed them the grill marks. Those are some impressive grill marks. You know, that, <laughs> that's exactly what you want to get when you grill chicken breasts on the foreman. <laughs> Again, part of this is, you know, okay, give the guy a little, give him a little respect. And, I, you know, part of the problem is they, at the beginning, again, that they all tell him just to stay home and, and everything. And, and part of his reason for why he has to come into work is that he has no toilet paper in his apartment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and so that's, that's part of his reason why he needs somebody to come and pick him up and bring him into work. And I, I don't know, like I said, I just wonder if they would have given him just a little bit of attention, a little bit of sympathy you know, maybe that's all the all the guy wanted, but uh, you know, I mean, he did hurt himself. True, and seeing as he didn't get any sympathy, then that just makes him even angrier and angrier. You know, as the day goes on. 
Now, we talked about this during the Christmas episode, and one of the plot lines in there with the present swap, the Yankee swap, was that you know everyone wanted Michael's iPod. And Pam ended up with it, and then ultimately, as we found out, you know, she traded the iPod to Dwight to get her um, teapot back that Jim had so thoughtfully bought. And one of the caveats, and then one of the things she said why she traded it is because Roy, you know, supposedly was going to buy her an iPod for Christmas. Well, did, did Roy buy her an iPod for Christmas? Uh, not quite. Oh, man, is that a Prism Duro Sport? They're like an iPod, only they're better because they're chunkier and more solid. Roy gave it to me for Christmas. I'm trying to figure out how to put songs on it. Oh, no, 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 don't go there. I know this Russian website where you can download songs for two cents a piece. Really? Only the only thing is, is that all the songs are in Russian. Kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they all be? <laughs> okay, see you later, Pan. Pan? Man, so here's, you know, Dwight, it just, like I said, it takes a huge knock to the head to make Dwight a decent human being. <laughs> to make him joke and, uh, and helpful and, and play around. And prior to this, we saw some, you know, other establishing shots where he hit Michael's foot with the fan and, and was typing, you know, <laughs> Dwight for about 300 times for the file <laughs> name, name of one of his file folders and, and all that kind of stuff. And then we get, uh, you know, right here with his calling her Pan at the end, but, uh, well, you know, that's the thing, again, does, does Roy come through with the iPod? No, of course not. He buys some cheaper, crappier knockoff Prism Durosport <laughs> instead, <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, more insight into Roy's character there. And, you know, leave it up to Dwight, though, and, and, and Dwight's my man, because, you know, he and I both had that secret Russian website where we go to buy our music and... Again, you know, that is sort of a thing that Dwight would pull, the little line. Well, the only problem is all the songs are in Russian. And uh, you could see him, you know, the the, the normal non-concussed Dwight actually maybe saying something like that. But, uh, yeah. you know, concussed Dwight just playing around. And uh, my biggest surprise is that Pam actually <laughs> found that funny and found that uh, to be a little interesting. You know, the, the, the kind of interesting thing about the plot line with the Pam and Dwight here is that as Dwight becomes more and more kind of friendly with Pam during the episode is that Jim actually starts getting jealous of their relationship. I think there, you know, and that culminates in a little while. We'll play that clip in a second, but well, um, during the course of the day, then as Michael sits in his office, uh, on the couch, you know, wrapped in his blankets and, uh, (laughs) eating his three rotisserie chickens and putting country crock on his foot (laughs) and everything else. Well, here, let's, uh, let's take a listen to that. He's, he, uh, puts upon, you know, Poor old Pam. What? Come here, please. Tell me before I come there. Oh, I need to rub butter on my foot. No. Pam, please. I have country crock. No. Ryan! 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 I don't know why that's it's so ridiculous that I have country crock. Here's a dumb question. Is that seriously therapy for a burn? You know, I think that's one of those old wives' tales that don't really uh, don't really work. So, no country crock. I wonder, did Ryan rub the country crock when he came in there, or did did Dwight help out with the country crock? I don't know. Uh, I'm it's, thinking that's a Dwight. That's a Dwight yeah. task. Michael went crockless, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, that's the that's funny thing. Hello, buddy. <laughs> you know, he's just sitting in his office, and he's, you know, fuming and just... 
mad that no one will help him, and he calls his mother <laughs> to complain about it. <laughs> and uh, you know, this is back in season two, back when we had just that one brief um, fling with Michael and Jan after the you know, the client episode after they hooked up at the Chili's. And then this is a, a few episodes later where Michael's still kind of playing off on that whole thing. And, you know, there's absolutely no relationship whatsoever, which is kind of weird now to look back on that, that they've got this strange Jamichael thing going on here with the, <laughs> with their destructive tendencies. So it's kind of, kind of interesting to go back and see that Genesis, but nothing, nothing at all there. And he, we find out that Pam uh, and Mrs. Scott have chatted about Michael <laughs> and Jan's relationship. Uh, that's a little disturbing as well. Now, we talked a little bit about this before, and, and here again, uh, Dwight comes to Pam's rescue. These covers are totally indestructible. Really? Yeah. Throw it. I promise it won't break. Check it. Oh no, it's broken. What? No, it's fine. I told you it wouldn't break. You could throw it all day long. That is so cool. Thanks, Dwight. So, I guess Pam and Dwight are friends now. Oh, God, no. Dwight isn't my friend. Oh, my God. Dwight's kind of my friend. So let's talk about that. I mean, is what's, what's up with that, with Jim? He actually sort of gets jealous of the fact that Dwight is now nice in talking to Pam. It's, it's not just jealousy, though, I don't think. It, it, it's This is tampering with the world order of Jim Halpert. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, I can actually relate to this because back when I used to work in my bank office, um, I sort of had this, you know, I, part of the reason why so that I can identify with Jim so well is that I had sort of this big unrequited crush on one of my coworkers that was uh, older than me and was already married and all kinds of stuff. And you know, one of the things I can attest to is that if somebody else came along and started talking to her or sort of buddied up with this person, I would actually feel the same way. You know, I'd feel jealous if we were out at the at a bar getting a drink or something and someone else tried to butt in to the conversation or whatever. I'd be sort of, you know, like, hey, get out of here. This is my, uh, you know, this is my friend, so back off, jackass. But, you know, I, like you said, I think that's part of it is, you know, the that's Jim's world is Jim and Pam against everyone else. Yeah. Like what's what's one of the things that can get him through the day? I mean, obviously interacting with Pam, but also his rivalry with Dwight, you know, and if, if Dwight's suddenly this nice guy, well, geez, but you know what though? That's the thing that, that actually sort of adds a lot of tension and, and that has us reexamining, you know, the whole relationship. If, you know, if they would have kind of delved more into that aspect of, uh, of this in the show, I think that would be kind of interesting to see, you know, because this is one of the first times I think that we sort of, you know, and it's not like a huge deal, but we do sort of see kind of Jim's darker side a little bit there, you know, the, uh, the kind of petty side where he's just sort of upset that he's not, uh, you know, he's not Pam's savior anymore. He's, uh, he's just sitting back watching Dwight be the nice guy. Fix uh, the... I don't know. Yeah, you think it's even that deep? I mean, I just think it's sort of a boyish, like you said, you know, hey, you know, this back off. Right, no, I, I mean, I don't think it is. I didn't think they played it out that way, but I think they could have. And it's sort of been interesting to see, you know, just a little bit, a little bit of his sort of petty side, maybe. All right, well, Ian, this is actually what I, the clip I'm going to play right now. This is my biggest laugh-out-loud moment of the entire episode, I think. I don't know why. It's just so ridiculous because it starts off in such a banal way, and it just ends in, in just an unbelievable way almost that I, 
I don't know. Well, let's just cue it up. Now, Michael, again, is kind of clomping and stomping around the office, uh, feeling no love from anyone, and, well, tries to make his way into the bathroom. Why you just dive right in? You know, around age 12, I just started going for it. No! Oh, help! What, what happened? I fell off the toilet. I'm caught between the toilet and the wall. What do you need? No, not you. Someone else. Get Pam. I think Pam's going to want to come into the men's room. Get Ryan. Oh, he needs to lift me. And he needs to clean me up a little bit. Bring a wet towel. Can you just get up yourself? He only grilled your foot. No. No! How? <laughs> so aside from his crazy noises and ranting and raving and just typical diva behavior, I don't know that line where he's like, "I need," and he needs to clean me up a little bit, bring a wet towel. <laughs> like he, yeah, he's just got a little grilled foot. I mean, come on. Like he expects Ryan to like wipe his ass for him. I don't know. Well, like, the idea of him being caught between the toilet and the wall, however, <laughs> is is hilarious. There's not a lot of wedged room there. in there. Yeah, yeah. And it's even funnier that you can't see it. It's kind of like, uh, it reminds me of uh, Austin Powers where, you know, he had like that chair that everyone would get lured into the, you know, some fiery pit like Will Ferrell's character. Yeah. And you have no idea what happened to him, but he's kind of like, oh, I'm still alive, you know. (laughs) You just imagine what's happening to him. Yeah, that was definitely, I don't know how those guys kept a straight face during that scene. I don't know. Oh, I think uh, Paul Lieberstein was almost <laughs> cracked there. I don't, like I said before, that scene that I don't know why to also, but that whole like they have this big banal discussion about how Ryan eats string cheese. <laughs> the fact that he just bites into it <laughs> doesn't. You know, I would have pointed that out too because uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't I can't do that. Yeah, it, it I got like a wasted opportunity. I got to peel it as um, well, so I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Maybe one day we'll decide to just go for it, <laughs> Ian, and uh, free ourselves. Well, you know, th- that whole thing then in the bathroom then prompts Michael to have another huge meltdown and yelling at everyone in the office. Can I ask you all a question? Do you know what it's like to be disabled? <clears throat> I had scoliosis as a girl. Never heard of it. No, a real disability, not a woman's trouble. When I was a teenager, I was in an iron lung. Well, how, how old are you? I am the only one here who has a legitimate disability. Although I'm sure Stanley has had his fair share of obstacles. I'm not disabled, and neither are you. You people are jerks. I burned my foot! 20 minutes, conference room, everybody's in there. <laughs> Again, <man. laughs> how old are you? <laughs> when I was a teenager, I was in an iron lung. I just love Stanley's like barely <laughs> awake. I didn't grill my foot or burn my foot. I'm not yeah. disabled. Neither are you. Yeah, you know what? That's the whole thing. Like Stanley's at his absolute just annoying best throughout this whole episode. And once they go in the conference room, they have the same thing. You know, it's like, have you learned nothing in there? And he's like, uh huh. <laughs> I I have learned nothing. You know, it just pisses him off. And that's the thing, like I said, if, if they would just give him something, give him a little bit, I don't think that this would keep escalating to the point that it is, at this, you know, right now, that they... But maybe it's, it's sort of a uh, it's sort of a contest, too, because, you know, they, they know that's what Michael wants, so they don't want to give him that satisfaction. 
Exactly. And he just keeps, of course, keeps ratcheting it up, keeps ratcheting it up here, and, you know, just <laughs> with that big scream, I burned my foot! Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he just wants some love. And I think the kicker is in there, too, that they... <laughs> Phyllis tells him that, oh, well, you know, we we love Stevie Wonder. We would help him. Oh, yeah. That was more painful than any burnt foot right there. <laughs> you know, this is the thing. Michael's solution, Michael's uh, inspirational speech in the conference room, and this is, you know, like a lot of the conference room scenes that we've seen in season three, like the, con, you know, especially like the convict where he has everyone come in there and then sort of, you know, tries to chastise them and yell at them for, for their behavior. And uh, he invites in a special guest. This, ladies and gentlemen, is our special guest. I'm Billy Merchant. I'm the properties manager of this office park. You are so brave. Thank you. Actually, I've been meaning to come by here for a long time. But it's hard for you, right? Because you're in a wheelchair. How long does it take for you to do something simple every day, like, like brush your teeth in the morning? I don't know, like 30 seconds. Oh, my God. That's three times as long as it takes me. I want to clamp Michael's face in a George Foreman grill. We're not that different, you and I. When I clamped my foot into a nonstick... You know what, Michael? Yeah. Let me stop you right there. Okay. And leave. (laughs) Did you see Born on the Fourth of July? I was under the impression that Billy would be more like that guy. So, again, Michael, you know, he starts off the meeting. Another key visual gag that we can't really play in here where he shows... He had all these pictures of disabled people stapled to the wall. <laughs> Larry Flint. Yeah, and it's like, why is Tom Hanks up there twice? Pure gold. I miss Larry Flint. There's FDR I saw up there and uh, a few other people. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, maybe that says something about me that that's the guy I zeroed in on, you know, right? <laughs> well, President, you know, actor. <laughs> Porn mag. Smut peddler. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Well, you know, and again, this doesn't quite work out the way that Michael wants. I don't know what he really expected out of this guy. Now, this guy, Billy, uh, we saw him twice last season. He showed up again in the uh, Casino Night episode, and Michael sort of further made some dumbass comments to him about, uh, oh, is that your nurse or whatever, to his date that he had with him at the time. Um, that's right. That's how you got to approach Michael, you know. I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> and leave. <laughs> before you do something really stupid. Uh, yeah, and, you know, it's, and that's the thing, like you said. I don't know what he, you know, he had these visions of Ron Kovic or something. I don't know what uh, going off on everybody about, you know, you know, it's, you see me as a guy in a wheelchair. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he expected, but definitely did not get uh, any kind of payoff again for his whole speech. And he... he just kept God bless me. He kept trying so hard to uh, <laughs> to point things out, you know, like wow, that's three times as long as it takes me. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, um, yeah. And there again, we saw a little bit of Jim getting kind of pissed off. No, oh, that was one of the more malicious things he said, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. Well, you know, at that point, he was being Michael was just being such a ridiculous, you know, hyperbolic jerk. Um, yeah, and, I think it echoed what all of us, or most of us, were thinking as we were watching that. You know, episode. and it, 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 that that comment came right after um, where Michael says, "You know, all you see is him in a wheelchair. That's all you see." And I, you know, at that point, you know, obviously everybody had, everybody had enough of yeah, Michael's yeah. histrionics. And what happens? Well, Michael's foot is cured by the power of love. Hey. I found the pudding cups you wanted at a gas station in Carbondale. You know what? I feel better. Ryan brought me some chocolate pudding, and his kindness healed my foot. I ground up four extra-strength aspirin and put them in Michael's pudding. 
I do the same thing with my dog to get him to take his heartworm medicine. So there you go. I don't know. A little cynical. How do you got to deal with Michael? Yes. <laughs> Spike Apparently, uh, little chalky chunks in your uh, chocolate pudding means nothing to... Uh, well, it's so chocolicious, you know. And it's a thing. Or Ryan's just so good at grounding those. And well, that's the thing in this episode that you can see. I mean, you can just see Ryan's at his obsequious best in here. You know, he's like so happy and so pleased. You're like, yeah, I found them in a gas station in Carbondale. <laughs> he's just so excited. You know, he's just like so just suck up to uh, to Michael here. I don't know when the relationship went sour. Maybe when he got transferred to the junior sales associate position that he sort of became a little more cynical uh with Michael you know, he, there, there's but. flashes of his cynicism there too you know you know when he brings the chickens are they all dark meat true yes but three was, whole chickens all dark meat but it was sort of covert i don't know sarcasm and cynicism a little bit because he was still on the surface you know you know no surprisingly the gas station in carbondale didn't have fresh yams no maybe it is you know, like you said when he got promoted you know a little <laughs> bit more arrogance uh yeah. yeah i felt a little more secure in yes. Permanent higher position. I don't know. But uh, so there you go. Michael is miraculously cured by, like I said, by the power of love. You know, one of the things that I, I'm not sure what I want to make of this because Billy, you know, as Billy leaves the office and he's sort of talking to, to Halpert, he asks, you know, what's wrong with Dwight? Um, you know, and he says, I, you know, it seems like he has a concussion. And, and for some reason at that point, that seems to be the only thing that, like, gets these people to actually wake up and realize that there's a serious problem going mm-hmm. on. Like, he, he, Jim sort of looks at the camera after he says that, like, oh, maybe uh, maybe I should actually be concerned about his health and not just, uh, you know, moping around because Pam is hanging out with him. In any case, it gets him thinking, and then when Dwight uh, literally then keels over at his desk, Jim steps up with uh, his medical diagnosis. Okay, I think we need to take him to the hospital. Um, I'm pretty sure he has a concussion. He needs to go right now, and you're his emergency contact. I think you should go with him. Why don't you go with him? I barely know him. I want Michael to take me. Jim, why don't you drive? Let's just get to the elevator. What are you doing? We're getting out of town. Stop. Tired. Wake up. Ah! Wait, here, let me help you, Dwight. Okay, Pam. Get up. Get up. Get the brass. Yeah. Just keep him away. I have to go to the hospital. I know. I just want to say goodbye, okay? I'll be back. Yes, I know, but it's going to be different. Why? Just hard to explain. Oh, Pam, you're adorable. Oh, my goodness. A lot of interesting things in that little <laughs> clip right there. I mean, this is still early days of the whole Duangela situation. And again, you have Angela sort of, you know, her man is injured and down. And she's again sort of denying him, you know, like she did in season three. Mm-hmm. I just wonder about that. It's kind of kind of interesting because, you know, she's still, even though he has a life-threatening problem, you know, she's still not willing to step up. Uh, maybe it's still early, like you said, you know, and she's, she's not quite sure how invested she is in this thing. Right, and one of the things that we saw as part of Dwight's concussion is that he sort of came up and uh, <laughs> and uh, butt bongoed Angela in the break room. <laughs> and this is still sort of in in season two. This is, we still get this later where Pam is kind of playing on this, like she knows about the relationship, and yeah. you know she kind of steps in and, and does some things to help them out, even though uh, <laughs> they've never really been nice to her, I guess, or. Or deserved it, but she still sort of feels like she wants to help him out a little bit at the end of the the story there. Now, this is, you know, again, one of the things, part of why this is, you know, one of the funniest episodes of season two has got to be the 
Good old Halpert in the squirt bottle. I mean, that's just oh, like pure, yeah. <laughs> pure comedy gold that, uh, you know, you can't let Dwight go to sleep, so he starts, you know, keeps squirting them in the face. And just everything in that scene, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, I'm making Vietnam sounds. I don't know why that. And I found that so hilarious for some reason that uh, no the the water bottle I agree was to me was the most laugh out loud stuff you know <laughs> that he's especially when they're in the car and you know he's squirting both of them and oh yeah and Michael and <laughs> speaking and of which um, as they make their way down to the hospital you know down to the car they take Mayor to this minivan <laughs> which leads to uh, you know good old Meredith and her secret hidden shame. Wait, what are you drinking? I found it under the seat. Oh my God, Dwight, I'm put that thirsty. down. No! Give the bottle to Michael. No! Just give the give, bottle to Michael. Give it to me. No. Dwight. Just keep your eyes on the road. Give me the bottle, or you're fired. You can't fire me. I don't work in this van. Give it to me, Dwight. No. Stop. Give me the bottle. Will you stop? Give me the bottle, Michael, Dwight. Stop. Mm. Just give it. Michael, stop. Uh, Just no. stop. Stop it. Stop, stop. 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 Give me the bottle. Stop screaming. Stop. Stop. Give me the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you said, man, it's, it's, that's that's that is the biggest laugh out loud moment in the whole show. And pretty good driving there by Jim. <laughs> I know it's so ridiculous. And then again, you know, it's Meredith, the secret shame. He finds like a pint of whiskey or something under the seat. <laughs> you know, like a full pint of whiskey under the seat of the minivan. Like, what the hell is she doing in there? Well, maybe you know, maybe her kid's really difficult. Well, we did see him in the uh, bring your daughter to work date. He is kind of a little prick, but still. Uh, you know, Dwight's sitting there, I'm thirsty. <laughs> and there's a couple other stupid lines in there that I, I didn't play. Like, right when they're getting in the van, uh, Jim, to tempt Dwight into the van, tells him that they're going to Chuck E. Cheese. And Michael has this weird-ass line where he's like, oh, man, I hate Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> like, what did you think about that? Did, they, did that just go over the top of him being an idiot, or what was... What was yeah, maybe a little bit, but it just... I think it it came back to, you know, suddenly Dwight's getting all this attention. And, and kind of going back to what you were asking before about how nobody, you know, was paying attention to Dwight before is just because, you know, Michael was, you know, being such a diva, me, 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 me. You know, I think they were just kind of predisposed to just ignoring everything and just trying to get through the day, you know. Right, and that's one of the things he says. I didn't play it in the clip, but he's sort of like, oh, now you're so concerned about Dwight, you know. Now uh, now he's, the the spotlight's off him, of course, and so maybe he's feeling a little, little bitter. But still, it was such a weird line. Like I, <laughs> I hate Chuck E. Cheese, and Jim's like, yeah, was... you know, we're going to the hospital, Michael. It's like, oh yeah, I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> Why would Michael be sick of Chuck E. Cheese? He probably goes there. I mean, is he going there by himself? What is he doing? Yeah. Oh my God. Can anything be more <laughs> pathetic on this planet? I, uh, I don't even know what to say about that line. There's so many different wrong things with that. Um, you know, this next line, though, when they get to the hospital, this is one of those things that we kind of talked about before. And this this is a really a true moment where even though Jim and Dwight sort of hate each other, that they've worked together for so long that they actually are closer than, for, you know, a lot of friends might be. And we got a little glimpse of this during Traveling Salesman again when we saw the young Jim and Dwight photo and, and how they had been working together for such a long time. Dwight, what is your middle name? Danger. Something with a K. Kurt. Wow, I'm so sad that I know that. 
You know, like I said, <laughs> so sad that he knows that, but he does know that, you know. He just realizes all these things that he knows about this person that he just can't stand. Yeah, he's probably had to sit there, even, you know, even if Dwight didn't tell him. You know, he's probably been sitting there while Dwight, like, gave it over the phone or something like that. Well, it's, I fine. mean, it's, you know, it's just one of those things that you work with somebody. You just know, you hear all yeah. the stories. You know everything about them. Yeah. Krasinski said that he thinks that Jim and Dwight are really good friends deep down. Right. Which I always just thought, oh, that sounds ludicrous. But th- this was the kind of the episode that that hinted at that, or at least, you know, that, or maybe that they could really be good friends if Dwight wasn't Dwight. <laughs> yeah, if you could keep going with that concussion, maybe. <laughs> they could reach some common ground. But, yeah, they, uh, you know, he shows some concern, and then he shows the fact that he knows more than he ever wants to know about this guy, and that they've, they, they have a relationship, you know. Mm-hmm. Be it as it may. Well, Ian, um, this isn't really all that much in the storyline. This doesn't. This next clip doesn't really have a whole lot of purpose. But I gotta do it, Doctor. What is more serious, a head injury or a foot injury? A head injury. Well, you don't have all the information. The foot has been fairly severely burned and uh, healed quickly, very quickly. Actually, like, suspiciously quickly. For a burn, you really just need to look at the outside of the foot. Okay, what kind of machine is that? Does the skin look red and swollen? That's what she said. That's my joke. Damn it, Dwight. So I have to have the obligatory that's what she said clip. But you know what? I, I, I take that back. It does have something to do with it. Because even, the, even now at the hospital, he's still... <laughs> Still trying to play that off. Like, what's more serious, a foot injury or a head injury? Yeah, I think you get some documented medical <laughs> proof. That, uh... Like, how could he possibly... How could he possibly still be trying to get that and think that that's true? You know, like, oh, yeah, a foot injury is definitely much more serious. Maybe Michael suffered a head injury in his youth. Uh, well, it must have been something. I don't know. After, uh, after we've seen all those horrible stories of his childhood, I... All right, well, this is the last scene of the episode, and this is sort of where you can argue, you know, either one of two ways. Um, Michael agrees to go into the CAT scan with Dwight, and you can either take that as it's sort of Michael's redeeming moment where he acts like a dick the whole episode, and then at the end, you know, he sort of has that one moment of humanity that, that makes you sort of like him again, and you can either argue that way or you can argue the more cynical way that he just went in there <laughs> to be with him in order to... Uh, stick his foot into the Kazgan machine, um, and I'll leave that to the viewers to decide, but then we have uh, Jim calling the office to give everyone the news. Thunder Mifflin, this is Pam. Thunder Mifflin, this is Jim. Oh my God, what's going on? Is Dwight okay? Mm-hmm. They should be fine, but they uh, brought him in for a cat scan. Michael went in there with him, too. It's pretty sweet. Really? Michael went in with him? Mm-hmm. Wow. Hey, Oscar. What's up, Pam? Um, I just wanted to let you know that Dwight's going to be okay. The doctor said there's a really simple treatment for a concussion, so he'll probably even be back at work tomorrow. Okay. I just uh, thought you'd want to know that. Okay, Mr. Schrute, inhale with me on three. One, two, uh, sir, stop that. It's stop. Stop that. So there's a couple other things in that clip as well. Like I said, that's kind of the weird abrupt ending, and then that was right after she said stop it. That's... The screen goes black, and that's just it for the mm. show. It, it definitely feels like there should have been something else, some kind of coda or something else tacked on there. But, um, you know, in any case, we have we see a, a couple of things. Pam, again, being very considerate. Um, you know, oh, Oscar, by the way, 
you know, so that uh, Angela can overhear without feeling embarrassed or whatever. Are you trying to read into Oscars, okay, like, okay, why are you telling me this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the other part of that that uh, I, it was sort of interesting that I wanted to bring up is that the the scene right there, right before they go into the CAT scan room, is really one of the last times in the show when they've made any direct reference to the fact that they're filming a documentary. Um, because the doctor you know, says, you can't come in here, you have to take off all metal, and, and the cameras and that stuff can't come in here. And mm-hmm. then you see Michael, like, take off his wireless mic, and the sound actually goes dead for a couple yeah. of seconds while he walks in there. And that's, you know, that, that stuff's kind of cool, and I, I almost feel I bad that they've abandoned that in Season 3. And maybe they just think it's too, like, deep for the casual viewer. Like, they just they won't understand what they're doing, but, you know, I kind of miss that stuff. I like it, too, although maybe it's just a little too... I mean, because viewers do think about it, because, you know, you know, we get questions sometimes, of, you know, like, oh, the cameraman have really followed him, or, you know, when the cameraman have done something. It's, yeah. It's, it's like one of those things that I think, like, you know, if you notice it, they're not doing their job, you know? Yeah. It's something I, that's just supposed to blend in. I suppose, but even so, I mean, that sort of adds an extra little level to the show, um, and maybe that's just what they, they don't want people to worry about it. Like, I, th- I think of people in season three that started watching here, you know, they wouldn't even know that whole aspect of the fact that it was a documentary. You know, they'd just be like, oh, it's a TV show, and that's just the way it is, you yeah. know, in the office. Because um, they really played around with that a lot during season two. Like I said before, that they had the cameraman, um, you know, Pam actually goes up to the cameraman <laughs> and tells the cameraman to spy on Angela and Dwight and try to catch them and their relationship and, and that kind of stuff and and then they played off on it there at that episode you know the, the only other time i i can think of in season three when they actually brought that up is during the and you know ironically enough during the cocktails episode the hostess you know the wife of the cfo uh when she's trying to get away from michael or dwight or something she kind of almost she sort of like bumps into the camera and, and doesn't really know which way to move and so mm-hmm. that that's really the only sort of other reference that they've made to that so far. And I, I don't know. I kind of miss that. I sort of wish that they'd bring that up a little bit. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just stuff that I have. Oh, yeah, it's from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why I didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, well, um, while promoting Blades of Glory these last few weeks, Jenna Fisher talked to uh, About.com, just sort of about the show and about uh, the future and about the you know Pam and Jim relationship. And she had some actually some interesting things to say. And I know that... Uh, you know, some people are going to find this maybe a little, <laughs> maybe a little uh, arrogant or something, but uh, I, I think it's sort of interesting. She said, you know, when asked about the will they, won't they thing, and we've talked about that before many times, you know, they, they really can't keep doing that. You know, Jenna Fisher's response to that, she said, I feel like we're going to break the mold on the relationship curse. Uh, the most important thing is that we just straight stay true to the characters. I don't think they're going to force us to be apart any longer than is natural. And they're not going to force us to be together any longer than is natural. I have complete faith in our writers and in the show. Now, I know that some people might off the top have, you know, just be going, oh, yeah, right. You've already been apart way longer than might be natural. But, um, 
In any, in any case, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about that line that she said that, you know, they're not going to have us be together any longer than is natural? I mean, is that a big hint at what's going to happen? Maybe. Uh, part of, I took that as just maybe maybe that's kind of typical for an actor. I mean, you've you got to have faith in the writers on the show. As she says, you know, you got to believe that they're going to be true to the characters. And I just, as an actor, I think you can't just, I, I would think that if you see something going in a direction that has been done before, or kind of same old, same old. I, I almost wonder if that affects you and the work you do. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, like you said, um, you know, a lot of people are kind of getting uh, tired of the whole thing. And, and, and so I, I, do, I find that really interesting because that is the question, you know. Is the show about Jim and Pam being together, or can the show exist if they ultimately do get together? You know, will the show fall apart? You know, what will happen? Now, the next uh, little chunk of thing, uh, stuff that she said here, I, I actually found much more interesting because it's, it's much more, I don't want to say this, it's much more sort of fatalistic about the relationship than I'm used to getting, I guess, from someone in the cast. And she said, I don't know if Jim and Pam are ultimately meant to be together. I say this to producers all the time. Sometimes that person helps you become the person that you're supposed to be to meet the person you're supposed to marry. Maybe that's our story. And if that's our story, that's still a beautiful story to tell. So if we're still on the air in 10 years and you're just not feeling Jim and Pam anymore, you know, that's all right. I think we're open to letting it be that way. We're not committed to end the series as a wedding between Jim and Pam and a baby, you know. It's more of like a real-life story. And, you know, again, I find that really interesting because it's sort of more, much more candid, I guess, than I've heard from, from uh, NBC. And that's the thing, you know, NBC has this vested interest in sort of keeping this whole romance angle going, you know, in their promos and the way they've, they've dealt with the show. I don't know, what do you think about that comment? Yeah, I'm going to kind of repeat what I said before. I think as an actor, I would imagine you ca- that's how you have to think of it. If you know how it's going to end, I have to think that's going to affect how you approach the material. Well, do you How think they're going to actually have, are they going to actually have the balls to do that though? Let me ask you that. To not no, no I don't. <laughs> I think <laughs> you know what, even if they do, I mean, who knows, the network might just put their foot down on this. But yeah, I I would really admire if they did that and it also calls into question what you just asked. What is this series really about, you know? Well, that's the truth and that's I mean, that's kind of the test. I know for a lot of us um, you know, a lot of us, that, that is part of, you know, that's a big part of why we like the show. Um, you know, will we still like the show if that didn't exist? You know, if the Jim Pam stuff didn't exist anymore, would we still like the show as much as we do? I don't know. I, I just, I, I find it really interesting and really refreshing that she brought up that concept of if you're not feeling Jim or Pam anymore, that's all right, you know. And I wonder if we will ever get to that point or not. Um now, the last thing that she talked about, she meant she brought up the season finale of the series for season three, and she said, you know, we just filmed our 50th episode, directed by Harold Ramis, and that's the episode right before the big finale. Um, there's a lot that happens in that episode that leads into the big finale. There's a huge Michael Jan storyline that's just really awesome. Um, there's a lot of Jim Pam stuff as well. But I can say that one thing is that their arc for Pam this season is that she's trying to find her own voice and trying to get what she wants, and that is going to continue. Pam really is going to come out of her shell in the last few remaining episodes of the season, and that was really exciting. 
Um, what do you think that means? She's going to be coming out of her shell now. She's going to actually come up and and declare her love, or I, what? What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. That's been to me. That's been a, a subplot thread of this entire season. Is that right. Pam having to find herself um, as a single entity um, coming out of her shell? Maybe it's just uh, you know standing up for herself and telling Roy and Jim, you know. She's not some piece of meat to be fought over. I have no idea. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, just, I I find that like those comments just that we just talked about it's really interesting. I don't know, much more interesting than a lot of the other stuff that we've we've gotten out of the cast this season. Uh, a lot of stuff to think about. So or maybe she just wants to you know not be defined by who she's with. Right. So maybe she'll decide at the end of the season she doesn't want either of these guys. <laughs> Well, that would be another. That'd be another How way. How about definitely. that, America? <laughs> that'd be another way to keep it going, definitely. Okay. Uh, well, since we've been talking about Jenna Fisher, uh, maybe you've noticed that she's on the cover of uh, Wired magazine this month with a uh, special "Now She's Clothed and Now She's Nude" cover, starring a fancy new Beasley. Nude <laughs> Beasley. Sorry. Uh, the point of uh, the cover is a uh, tie-in with the article on. Radical transparency, a business trend where everything the company does is put out into the world for everything to see. And since it's April, the magazine also features an article covering Dunder Mifflin as if it were a real company. All right. Well, um, I know we kind of talked about that before. It's sort of a weird picture. I mean, she looks really sort of almost plasticky or something. I don't know how to say it. She's like a really Yeah, she's so... Well, a lot of people have been complaining about this on the blog page. She's so heavily airbrushed that I think, yeah, she does indeed look plastic but it is uh, the nudest that you'll ever see jenna fisher as far as i know so if that's if that's your bag grab that issue now um in an interview with the boston herald about the last mimsy rain wilson revealed that his role could have been much more revealing and apparently he had a brief bare bottom moment trimmed out of the film so it could maintain its pg rating now, what on earth would cause someone to do that in a movie like this? I have no idea. But, um, you know, it actually was reported that they couldn't totally cut out that scene. So what they did was they digitally added a pair of boxer shorts on Wilson's ass <laughs> during the scene in question. <laughs> and then how much was that piece of movie magic? Well, it cost him about $40,000. Um, nice. When I bend over at the refrigerator, you see leopard print boxers under my pajamas said Wilson. It's probably the most expensive underwear in movie history. Like, and again, I just have to say, like, why in a PG children's movie would you have Rain Wilson show his bare ass in a scene? I don't know what that's all about. But yeah, Without seeing the movie, yeah, it's hard to say. Maybe, I don't know, was it just after he had... Oh, it's organic. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. maybe they didn't need to be leopard print. You know, maybe that would have only cost 25000 if they were just straight white boxers. You know? Oh, good Lord. Well, next. Uh, Rain Wilson also spoke with Fred Schruers of Tribune Newspapers this past week. And uh, the writer observed that Wilson only seemed uncomfortable during the interview when the possibility of an office spinoff with Dwight as the star, was mentioned. Uh, Wilson said, I can't imagine the show without Steve, but uh, Carell is fast becoming a big screen star. In fact, uh, after recently shooting The Office's 50th episode, the show went on hiatus for four months so that Carell could shoot Get Smart. I don't know, that's an interesting question for uh, everybody listening. You know, Would you want to see The Office continue without uh, really the four main characters, either of them or all of them? Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question. We talked about that before. Like, you know, 
uh, let's face it, Steve Carell. I can't ima- I, I, I really can't understand why he's even still working on the show. To tell you the truth, I mean he's he's reaching you know megastar status. He's constantly working. You know, uh, big even some Oscar credit, you know, Oscar clout with Little Miss Sunshine. Um, I don't well, know. Maybe I, he's I, just uh, maybe he's just kind of a humble guy who is grateful for the opportunity. I mean, George George Clooney could have left ER far sooner than he did. You know, but he true. knew. That was his meal ticket. He kind of felt loyal to the show and grateful to it. Yeah, I suppose. And I, I just, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking about this, you know, because we've we've heard constantly about how the office is such a grueling shoot. You know, they're in there 15 hours a day, whatever. Uh, you know, working constantly. I can, I can't imagine if you're banking like you know five million dollars for doing Evan Almighty or something. You know, why on earth would you put yourself through that kind of thing? But. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I can't imagine the show without him, and I don't know what they would do. Uh, they could, I guess, they could bring in, you know, someone, someone else to be the bumbling, incompetent boss. But then that would get kind of yeah. How lame. many shows uh, last after you get rid of one of the leads? I mean, right. Well, I mean, you Cheers, could say like maybe. Cheers. Or something, yeah. yeah, Cheers is the only one I can think of. But yeah, I don't know. It would have to be. It, it could not be. I don't think just a re a rehash of Michael Scott's character, then you'd have to go quite different. Right, and then but then at that point, then you have to ask, you know, what, what's the point of The Office if you don't have the bumbling boss, Michael yeah. Scott-style character? So, I don't know. Um, I, I, I almost think that I'd rather they end the show if that happens. So Fox and NBC have come to the realization that their names alone don't mean much to younger audiences. This prompted the two networks to team up for a new internet venture that will send shows such as Heroes and The Simpsons to Yahoo and other such websites that audiences frequently check for video content. The shows will include ads and will be syndicated to Yahoo, AOL, MSN, and MySpace. Uh, The sites will also offer promotional clips, videos that web surfers can modify, and paid downloads of movies from the 20th Century Fox and Universal's picture catalog. Now, sort of interesting stuff we've known for a while that NBC is sort of at the forefront of, you know, internet viewing and getting their shows out there. That's kind of a big deal. I, you know, they're, they're sort of playing the, they're not having their own shows. They, they don't believe that people are going to go to NBC.com to find videos. So they want to put them everywhere, wherever they can, that people are coming to. Yeah, it's a pretty proactive move. I mean, and, you know, I mean, I suppose it even calls in, you know, deeper questions. You know, like how much TV are people really going to watch at their computers? Well, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if there, if uh, we we're seeing some devices, you know, Apple, the Apple, Apple TV, TV right, thing right. just came out, and if they can integrate all that stuff in, into those kind of devices, you know, you never, you never know. Uh, you know, the on-demand future is going to happen probably. Soon. But it, uh, what you brought up about people not finding the show at NBC.com, I mean, I think NBC.com is largely preaching to the converted. You know, people who already watch The Office right. are going to go to uh, NBC.com to see the extra content or not. But if you don't know about the show, if you don't normally watch NBC, I mean, this is a way to get to try and attract some new right. Some and new and this this they're also talking about doing a video site that, like you said, it's it's sort of a it's meant to be a YouTube rival in some ways. Um, so they want to get you know instead of having people put up pirated clips on YouTube, they want them to go to this other place to to find their stuff and also, like I said, just syndicating it through all these other spaces, you know, I, I, I guess MySpace and I, a lot of built-in audiences, much bigger than the actual, you know, Fox.com and NBC.com mm-hmm. hits every month. So 
interesting stuff. Uh, other technology news? Yeah, as a follow-up to that, uh, would you watch The Office on your cell phone? Uh, NBC has partnered with MOBA TV, hope I'm pronouncing that right, to bring full-length primetime TV shows to mobile phones. Shows will be available for streaming at $1.99 for a 24-hour period after the show is aired on broadcast television. A carrier hasn't been announced yet for the service, but expect it to be available sometime late spring, early summer. Ooh, I don't know about that 24-hour uh, period thing. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. But uh, Yeah, I can pretty much say I want that. that's not going to work for me. <laughs> Chud.com recently asked Rain Wilson a question that both Ian and I have been wondering about. What exactly do guest directors bring to the office? Rain says, I put it to one director friend of mine. Whoever directs our show, it's always going to be at least a B-plus episode. I think I heard Martin Sang's head explode with that one. Um, it's never going to suck because the scripts are really good. The actors know what they're doing. The DP knows what he's doing. The editors know what they're doing. And they're all going to do a pretty good job. It's the director who has to take it from a B-plus area to an A, A-minus area. And I think that's what an experienced director can do with more interesting shot angles, some details of character history, something to enrich the episodes. It's not really for the director completely. So many of these directors are huge Office fans. Harold Ramis has directed three episodes, and working with him is such a treat. He always has the best comic spins on the stuff that we're doing. He has such a great sense of humor. So uh, there you go. It's like I said, a little bit of insight as far as, you know, what these directors actually bring to the show. And uh, like I said, I, <laughs> some of our more cynical fans, I don't think that they're buying that it's always going to be a B-plus episode, but uh, <laughs> be that as it may. I don't know. There's so much, only so much a director can do, right? I mean, te right. television is totally not a director's medium. TV Guide has included everyone's favorite third wheel, Karen Filippelli, a.k.a. Rashida Jones, as one of their official 40 hottest stars who steam up the screen. How did I miss this issue? <laughs> uh, I haven't been grocery shopping lately. That's what it is. Kate Flannery and Brian Baumgartner joined Jones at the TV Guide Sexy Celebratory Party. If you move quick, you might still catch the issue with the photos of Jones on newsstands. But uh, shots of the party will be in the next issue on newsstands April 2nd. Well, Ian, I sent you uh, one of those little pictures. What did you think about that? It's, uh, it's very appealing. Yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> short, short shorts shot. Uh, you can see Rashida Jones' butt quite well. Uh, okay. She can wear the proverbial paper bag. I think it'd be all right <laughs> with that. And then lastly, according to the Scranton Times Tribune, Alan Pierce, a freelance cameraman, was at the mall at Steamtown shooting interior and exterior scenes for the Scranton set NBC sitcom. This is the first time the show has shot actual footage of the city for an episode, not counting the opening credits that were shot by John Krasinski before the show went on the air. Uh, Pierce was at the mall for about two hours and shot footage of the mall's center court, front entrance, and food court. The footage will figure into the show's April 26th episode. So there you go, some real-life Scranton action. Authenticity. All right, Ian, it's been six freaking weeks, but the next new episode, The Negotiation, coming up this Thursday, April 5th, 2007. Uh, keep in mind, though, that it is a supersized episode and will be starting at an earlier time. So we'll be starting at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Um, salary negotiations drive Michael to think about his own pay. Daryl decides to meet with Michael to negotiate a pay increase. 
Meanwhile, Jim deals with the consequences of Pam's confession to Roy. And now, I try to avoid spoilers, Ian, but um, NBC played about a two-second clip this last week that uh, showed Roy lunging at Jim about to kick his ass. With Karen screaming in the back. Yeah, and then we saw a clip of Michael saying something like, it was a crime of passion. So, I, you know, we were speculating about that was going to happen. I, you know, I don't know. Guess we'll have to tune in. We will have to tune in and see. And in two weeks, April 12th, we have safety training. Uh, for safety training day at Dunder Mifflin, Michael and Dwight attempt to expose all workplace dangers to the staff. Meanwhile, oh, here it is. Andy returns to the office ranks after his anger management training, intent on starting anew with his co-workers. Now, there's also um, a couple of cast appearances coming up this next week. Um, on April 4th, we have B.J. Novak appearing on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And you were just mentioning before that he was in Pursuit of Happiness. So maybe that's No, he has a small part oh, in mean, uh, Rain Over yeah, Me. Yeah, Rain Over Me. There you go. Also, then on April 6th, Jenna Fisher will be making her return to Jay Leno. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. All right, email from Robin. She says, I recently found your podcast, and since I work alone at my computer all the live long day, I had a few That's What She Said marathons to catch up and enjoyed it very much. Uh, thanks, Robin. Don't listen to people who object to the length of the podcast. I like the full coverage. I like the audio bits that frame your discussion of the episode storylines. I like the critical analysis. I like that you catch the literary and cultural references that make the writing so sharp and funny. Many of the things you point out have increased my enjoyment of the show, so thank you very much. No, thank you, Rob. Thank you. Very much. This was posted by Elisa on the blog page. It says, so happy we get a new podcast since NBC is giving us reruns. Oh, I mean, new Pete's jerks. What bugs me is that they're only putting in the effort to polish the show, adding deleted scenes, because they want to snag new viewers. Us real fans already know about confusing storylines, such as Andy at Anger Management, because we put in the effort to find the deleted stuff. We already know those backstories. So come on, Greg Daniels, throw us a friggin' bone. Uh, what she says, she says, I also hope they follow through with that helper ass-beating promised by Roy. <laughs> Maybe it'll force him to nut up and make a decision about Pam and Karen. Wow. Uh, Alyssa, I agree, and we'll, uh, like we said, apparently Roy is going to, looks like he's going to lay the smack down on Jim, so we'll see. All right, this is from uh, Mike of the Let's Speak Italian podcast. He sent an email. He said, I just discovered your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I must say that you're doing a damn fine job there. My question is, do you think that when the new Super Size episode comes on April 5th, Will there be six weeks of time that have passed, or will they pick up on the day following what we last saw? I was thinking that the writers might let some time go by, and then everything would be told in sort of a flashback montage to explain what happened between Roy, Pam, and Jim in the days following Roy's blow-up. And speaking of Roy's blow-up, that's the only girl that he'll be going out with in the near future. So that's 
a good zing there, Mike. I, I, I don't know. Cause they yeah, usually, I, don't think the pro, I think the promos have answered that question. Well, but you know what? Let's talk about this because they've done that before. And, and, and I'll argue that it wasn't really all that necessarily all that satisfying. They did that in Gay Witch Hunt. They did the big, like, flashback to mm, what had happened before. True. And that's that really true. wasn't that satisfying uh, to do it that way. So I don't know. I, I could see them do that because The Office, in the past, Ian, they've almost always gone real time with the episodes like if there's been a skip or a break or whatever they've sort of caught up with it that a month later or whatever the case may be so i don't know um i mean definitely we see we're seeing him lunge at uh at jim we're seeing michael call corporate and talk about it um so i'm gonna assume that it's pretty much close to you know after the time when he made that promise because otherwise if too much time does go by i don't think that he's going to be quite as worked up as he was I think not. before. This was posted on the blog page by Mr. Frat Pack Podcast, Kevin Crossman. It says, the comments about the cold opens were very appropriate. F- Facts from the Future was one of the few cold opens that really worked and was hilarious. The magic thing was overall pretty lame in cocktails and clearly not as good as the material from the deleted scenes. Um, also from that episode, I thought Melora Hardin was great, but some of her confessions seemed a tad ridiculous and definitely smelled like Anchorman-style ad-libs. I orgasm easily was not a believable statement for Jan to make. <laughs> and to be fair, that was in the deleted scenes, even though they have said that deleted scenes are canon. Yeah, I agree. That was a little <laughs> that was a little odd, but uh, still. Uh, this was posted by a friend, Nomi, on the blog page. said it would be really satisfying, cathartic even, for Jim to get really angry at Pam I wouldn't mind it if, uh, for a good long time, too, maybe the length of the cut scene of Stanley laying into Ryan again, but not for the comic effect this time, for the emotional effect. It'd be great to see him play against character and against the sort of generally understood tone of the show and really freak out. Not in a disturbing Andy way, just in the way a normal human being actually could in this situation. Well, uh, we're all up in the air as far as how this whole quadrangle is going to work out this year, so I don't know, anything can happen. And finally, this was posted by Melanie on the blog page, who says, My, how I've missed your sultry voices. <laughs> Honestly, though, I enjoyed it quite a bit, and thanks for the extra length. That's what she said. I'm so curious how they're going to end this season, especially now that we know they're signed on for another season. I personally think the writers could do some interesting things with Jim and Pam actually together, but I've lost all faith that it'll actually happen. Yeah, that's what we were talking about before, as far as what Jenna was saying. I, you know what, I do sort of almost wish that they would do it. I, I wish that they would do it, and then just take it as it comes and see what happens. But uh, I, I have a feeling that they're, they're not, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to nut up, as uh, they said before. I'm still laughing over Melanie's uh, total message. Thank you so much for leaving. I know that was completely unintentional, but... Oh, oh man, I know. That's the best That's what she Softballs, said. man, knocked out of the park. Well... Oh. Join us next week around this same time for episode 19, The Negotiation. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to twsspodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at thatswhatshesaid.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. And uh, the old blog page, as we've said before, there's a link to our email. There's a chat room in there that you can go to. We post news items. Um, We post naked pictures of Jenna Fisher. All kinds of stuff there to check out. So head on over to the blog page. Feel free to comment on anything that's posted. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to do anything. Just leave your name and your witty remarks. 
Uh, if you have a chance, also please leave positive feedback on iTunes. And I got to say, like I said, we're getting close to 100 reviews, and I want, I want to push that over the top. So anybody, if you have an iTunes account, if you like the show, uh, please go on over there and leave us a positive review. They are all greatly appreciated. Also, spread the word on any the office-related forums that are out there. Every little bit helps. Music for this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to nbc.com backslash the office during the week for more deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, and more. And, Ian, I think I will give the whole office the last word this week. What is going on? Michael is um, sick, and he wants one of us to rest. I'm not sick. I'm, I'm coming, Michael. I'm going to save you. Don't get that I do not want to okay. Hold on, Michael. I am coming. I am Say goodbye, okay? Well, I'll be back. I mean, yes, I know, but it's gonna be different. Why? It's just hard to explain. I burned my foot! <laughs>